It is always good to see everyone. Hope you're having a good day so far. Before we get into the Word, would you pray with me? Let's ask God to bless the preaching. Heavenly Father, you promised to accomplish the purpose for which you send your Word, and Lord, accomplish that purpose in our hearts once again. Speak to us, guide us, direct us, but most of all, help us to see the beauty of Jesus, the Savior. It's in his name we pray. Amen. I want you to imagine a hypothetical situation with me. I want you to imagine you're going for a run on the top of a mountain and you're approaching the cliff. And as you're running, you're getting closer and closer to the cliff where you could fall off if you don't stop. Now, as you run, you might hope that your family and friends will will notice what you're doing and call out, hey, stop, there's a cliff there. But they can't. And it's not because they're uncaring, it's just that they don't know how far you've gone and how close to the cliff you are. You might expect, if you're a Christ follower, that God will miraculously intervene. That as you get to the cliff, he's going to create a bridge so you'll be just fine, or he'll stop your body from moving so you won't be able to run over the cliff. But he also doesn't intervene. He just lets you keep going. The solution, therefore, is that you and you alone need to realize how close you are to the edge of the cliff before you run over it. Now, now what is this figurative cliff that I'm talking about? It's your breaking point. See, what I recognize is that all of us have been given energy by God, All of us have been given the ability to go after it to a certain degree. In fact, I want you to imagine this moment. Who is the person you know who gets after it the most? The the person who seems to have relentless energy to, to always go and do. Do you have that person in mind? Who is it? I want to let you know that even that person, even if you thought it was yourself, has a breaking point. We all do. In fact, this is something observable in society. Have you ever observed this uh, among the celebrities of our age? And I know they're easy to pick on, but uh, people like Justin Bieber and Kanye West, people like Mariah Carey, um, who has one of my favorite songs, You'll Always Be My Baby, uh, I Permit to You, is one of the best songs. I was learning about Mariah Carey, by the way, and she was in a a habit of doing 21-hour days, and and because of that, uh, met a breaking point. That's very understandable. Uh, Demi Lovato, she's one who has met a breaking point that you might have heard of. And perhaps most famously, I don't know who sticks out in your mind in the world of celebrities, but do you remember this with Britney Spears, right? We see these breaking points. Okay, but they're easy to pick on. Maybe you're saying, well, what about among Christians? Good Christian people surely are more immune I love learning from these two pastors. Um, Maybe you've heard of them before. Uh, Pastor Craig Groeschel leads one of the largest churches in America. It's called Life Church with a ton of satellite campuses. Probably, uh, again, the largest. Um, and, And what I love about him, he's very transparent. I remember being at a conference where he said the pace of preaching and presenting was so much that he had a mental block so bad that he couldn't write anything for months. He had run himself so ragged, he, he just couldn't catch up. It was too much. It was overwhelming. And then I listened to him during COVID. And this pastor who's leading one of the largest churches in America, who you might say, wow, if anyone's being used by God, that's him, was considering a different profession during COVID because of all that went along with pastoring. 
And then there's Kerry Newhoff. He's really interesting. If you Google him, you'll find a lot of commentary on how to do church nowadays. And you'll also find commentary about his real experience with burnout and how it took him months, years to recover, how he had to do life very differently than what he did before because he was broken. Well, you still might say, Pastor, these are people of this age, and what we know of this age is it's weaker than other ages. I bet people in the past were more immune. What about the greatest generation? Or what about our Bible heroes? Consider Paul. Paul's a hard charger, wouldn't you say? Paul, who evangelized most of the world at his time. Paul, who rejoiced in suffering. (laughs) That's resilient. Paul, who at one time recounted the afflictions he was able to endure by the strength of God. Paul, who said, I can do all things through him who gives me strength, still said the words that we heard, we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. It was past the point. So that we despaired of life itself. That's, that's Paul talking. Indeed, we had felt we had received the sentence of death. So friends, maybe I, maybe I didn't need to convince you, but if you weren't convinced before, I hope you are now. We all have a breaking point. And further, God allows them. God allows them. God allows you to see the cliff, run over it, and doesn't stop you. In fact, during COVID, I wonder how many of you uh, came across your breaking point in one regard or another, physically, emotionally, from what was going on in our country, how many of us maybe went there. And so out of love, this is something, as a pastor, I think this should be like a yearly sermon. Because something I, I just think about our pace of life is so crazy is that I think we need, to, we need to consider this, our first fill-in. I think we need to respect our breaking point before we're broken by it. Because what I know is that you, you can run yourself ragged, but you're going to pay the consequences. Have you learned that? Your body will not keep up with that forever. You either run yourself ragged and get sick, or you prevent that and hopefully don't get sick. You can run yourself ragged and and try to be everything for everyone, but that's going to pay consequences and dividends when it comes to your emotional health, with your physical health, with your mental health, all those things we know. And consider how God wants you to be treated. I want you to consider with me his goodness. So when God was in control of society, we called it a theocracy. God was the government. How good would that be, right? When God was in control of his society, he had what we know as the third commandment, which is remember the Sabbath. Sabbath means rest. And this is something we we still observe when hearing God's word, but because it's not part of the new covenant or it's not applied in the same way as a theocracy, we we can work on Sundays, we we can do other things, but but can you just be real? Like, how good would it be if for a day you were required to do nothing but eat and sleep and think on God? I bet if we held a clinic where you could come in and we just demanded that when you go out, you'll be able to have a day cyclically where you can eat and sleep and only think on God, you'd be like, yes, please. That's a good God, isn't it? Who understands how we're built 
who understands what we run up against. In fact, I, I love the words of a, a psalmist. The psalmist was talking about um, how you build a house and building with the Lord. And a house that's built by the Lord, look what it looks like. In vain you'll rise up early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. For in the, the house built by the Lord, he grants sleep to those he loves. He grants rest. They don't have to chase after everything the world is chasing after. That's your God of love. And today we're going to see him love a man in the midst of his breaking point. His name is Elijah. And if anyone seemed immune to maybe having a breaking point, Elijah would be it. I mean, he was immune to death. He's one of the only ones who didn't die. Do you know that? Uh, He was taken up to heaven by a chariot of fire. Like, sign me up for that too. Like, that'd be awesome. But, But the man who escaped death could not escape his own breaking point. The the man who was known phenomenally, his his name means the Lord is my God. The the man who duked it out with the false prophets and wicked Ahab and Jezebel, he met a breaking point. And that's what we're going to learn from today. And I hope God so speaks into your life to encourage you, to direct you, to show you his goodness once again. You ready to get into it? powerful word from 1 Kings chapter 19. Feel free in the Bible app or here on the screen, wherever you'd like the worship folder. Here we go. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. I should probably set it up. Uh, He had just had the duel with the prophets of Baal and he won it. But Jezebel was so mad that he threatened, she threatened his life. And so he's running away from Jezebel um, and uh, going from there. So he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Talk about a breaking point. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. At once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head were some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and... Ah, lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time, touched him and said, Get up and eat. The journey is too much for you. So he got up and he ate and drank and strengthened by that food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. The word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. It's interesting, um, I have some verses omitted from this section, but God then shows up in a powerful way. He showed up after there was a powerful wind and an earthquake and a fire, and the Bible says he was not in any of those, and he shows up in a gentle whisper to ask Elijah the same thing, and Elijah gives the same response twice. But now the Lord's response. The Lord said, go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. Anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Meholah to succeed you as prophet. Help is on the way. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael. Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. 
Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him. Powerful words that we're going to consider of what God is doing for Elisha and telling Elijah. Uh, may God bless us as we consider. All right. Before there was Disney World, there was a place called Cypress Gardens. I'm just curious how many of you have ever heard of Cypress Gardens or been there? Okay, uh, it was started in 1936 as one of the first theme parks, and it was closed in 2009. Here's a picture of Cypress Gardens. Well, before it closed, it is now a Legoland, um, my wife and our family were able to go to Cypress Gardens. When we heard the word theme park, we had expectations for that word. It involved technology and roller coasters. Uh, it, all we knew was Disney and Universal and SeaWorld. So when we went to Cypress Gardens, it was a much different experience. <laughs> this was a theme park created when uh, I think the, the circus was popular, right? When human feats were as great as you could get. And so they had ski shows, which were incredible. And they had one show I'll never forget. An ice skating show. There we were in a small arena with an ice skating platform about this big, maybe a little bit more extended. And uh, they were all dressed up in costumes with music, and it was very interesting. And the part that I will never forget is when a hula hooper came out. So I have, uh, I tried to find my best visual, but if you could imagine someone who's ice skating and has a hula hoop on every part of her body. Uh, so she had some on her arms and her legs and her torso and her head, and she was keeping them all going. And I remember her trying to be entertaining while doing all of this and the strain on her face as she was trying to smile. And then I reflected. My reflection was this. You can do this, but should you do this? <laughs> I mean, it's possible and even kind of entertaining and surely impressive, but should someone try to hula hoop while ice skating on every part of their body? That's a different question. The reason I bring this up, we are busy people. Would you agree? Doing some research in Chicago has one of the highest commute times, over 30 minutes. We have some of the longest work hours. And maybe if your circles are like mine, it's not surprising when you hear someone who worked 50. Oh no, I worked 60. Oh no, I worked 70. I've even heard people say, I worked 80. We're busy people. And on top of that busy work schedule, we add hoop after hoop after hoop to the point where some of our lives look like that hula hooper and we're getting them all going at the same time. And I guess to a degree, we should probably get a round of applause because the way we run ourselves, like it is impressive. Wow, you're doing a lot. The question is, should you? Yes, you can, but, but should you? And I wanted to skip for the take-home. And, and the take-home I have is this. What is a hoop that's on you and, and making it more complicated that maybe isn't an essential hoop? What is something as we're considering the pace of our life and the fact that we do have a breaking point that we might consider eliminating? The reason I bring that up is because we see Elijah. And Elijah had too much. 
In fact, I had a lot of fun translating uh, the original language this past week. So the original language, Hebrew, and what it was translated as is this. He says to the Lord, I have enough. But the Hebrew word was one word. It's pronounced rav in Hebrew, but it just means much. And so if I retranslate this in my own translation, he's just saying it's too much. And I don't know about you, but when I read that, I, I sure can relate to that. Have you ever been to the end of a day and the end of a week and just like, you know what? It's just too much. And I'm not even saying it's bad. It's just too much. That's where Elijah's at. It's too much. The hoops of life, too much. It's crazy. And what was too much for Elijah? Well, as the Lord shows up to him, in a very gentle way through the whisper, he asks him what's going on. And Elijah says twice these words. And remember, if anything is repeated in the Bible, it's always for emphasis. So what he's saying is very important. And when Elijah gets into it, this is his heart. He says, you know what? I've been very zealous for the Lord. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. What's Elijah saying? Elijah's saying, I've tried really, really hard, and it's not working. I'm so frustrated. I don't think his major concern is the death threat. I think his major concern is that he's frustrated with the result. I just dueled it out with the prophets of Baal, and it hasn't worked. No one believes, Lord. As a segue... I'll get back to this. A couple of years ago, I had a chance to listen to a divorce lawyer uh, counseling one of his clients. And the divorce lawyer came back to this point again and again and again, trying to convince this person, you can't change your spouse. You can't change your spouse. And maybe if you've lived life long enough, you've recognized there's a lot of things we can change, but other people is not in that category. You can't change your spouse. And with that, what was kind of the direction maybe they should or shouldn't go, you can't change your spouse. As I read this, and I consider what, what Elijah's concerned about is the state of Israel, and I wondered if, if God should have shown up and said, Elijah, you can't change Israel. That ain't up to you. It was never up to you. And what I see him burning out for and breaking for is a weight he was never meant to carry. It was never his to carry that load. And so how does this relate to you and I? Here's our next fill-in. I think we need to watch out for weights that only God can carry. Some of you are going to go to work tomorrow and you might be high up and you're worried about the company's profitability. Is that all up to you? Are you in charge of the global economy? Are you in charge of what every employee is doing? So if all you're concerned about is the results of your company, I think you might be wearing a weight that you cannot control. Some of you go to jobs and you're really worried about how people perceive you and the gifts that God gave you. Is that really up to you? You have no idea why they're feeling the way they feel. You have no idea how they perceive you, and you can't control it. All you can do is the best 
you can do. Some of you came in, and what's really on your heart is a relationship. It's a relationship with a son or a daughter. It's a relationship with a spouse or a coworker, and it is just weighing there. And you're spun up. And you're saying, well, if I would, then they would. Or if I only had, then things would be different. Their change is not up to you. And maybe you're burning out. Maybe it's so heavy because you're trying to carry a weight that was never yours to carry. Do you know this happens in the church world? We love so much our mission. We are so passionate about finding people who don't know Jesus. So they're just like, wow, he is awesome. I'm like, yes, he is awesome. But we can't control it. Whether or not they see the beauty of Jesus, whether or not God grows his church, it's his church, it's not up to us. I don't know how this helps you with your hula hoops. But maybe one of the hoops you have to drop is the weight of carrying something only God can carry. You know, there's this song for those who are carrying weights in the church uh, called, There's a Balm in Gilead. It's a beautiful song. I want you to consider some of the words. It says, sometimes I get discouraged and I feel my work's in vain. I think that's where Elijah was. But look what happens. Then the Holy Spirit revives my soul again. And that's what I want to have to happen to you. I want the Holy Spirit so much to work in your heart so that whatever that is, the thing breaking you, so that you can go out and say, man, I was revived by the Spirit today. So let's talk about that. I don't know if you've ever heard the phrase, suck it up, buttercup. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's an interesting phrase. And uh, I was uh, researching and I found that... Um, it was used this past week between uh, teachers and a parent and a daughter was in the mix. And, um, and, and things are hard for schools and they're hard for parents. Let's just be honest, right? Uh, they're tense right now. And I, I have passion and emotion and, man, uh, man, the expectations and but what's going on at home. And, and in the dialogue between parents and daughter and teacher, that phrase was used, suck it up, buttercup. Do you think that helped the situation? <laughs> no, it did not. It did not. And uh, in fact, I, I think of that overall. I, I could think of maybe a use for suck it up, buttercup, like maybe on the football field, uh, right, or, or, or something. I don't know. But in general, it's not a very empathetic response, right? I consider the Lord's approach to Elijah. And the Lord is bearing the weight of everything all the time. He's the sustainer God. And the Lord who bears the weight of everything all the time could have come up to Elijah and said, suck it up, buttercup. Don't you know what I have to deal with? <laughs> but it's not what he said. I love his approach. As Elijah's wrestling with everything going on, he says, get up for the journey is too much. He doesn't shame him. Oh, I can't believe you're at your breaking point. He's like, yeah. It is too much. Now, why can he do that? I think he can do it because he sent his son, Jesus. And that son would feel the weight of the world and the weight of all the pressure. And that son, Jesus, would come to his own point and he would say, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. 
And the Jesus who said that can say to you, oh man, I know what, I know what that feels like. I'm so sorry. And so something, our next takeaway about our God is this, that when broken, we can lean on his compassion for he wants to help. His heart isn't one that's so judgy, like, how could you? And I can't believe, and if you would have just listened. No, he's got compassion for every broken person. He's close to the brokenhearted. So what does he do to help? All right. As we get into that, does anyone like napping? <laughs> I, I'll never forget learning what the acronym SAINT means. It was given to me by Pastor Italiano. He's a great guy, by the way. SAINT, what does that stand for, the acronym? Sunday afternoon is nap time. If you want to be a saint today, that's what you got to do. <laughs> and napping's wonderful, right? It's so wonderful, you almost feel like you're sinning when you do it. You're, you're wondering, like, well, you wake up and someone call you lazy. And they might, but it's still fantastic, Right? And I was doing a study of how much sleep Americans get. It was, it was conducted by Mattress Firm in 2018. And among 2,000 adults, do you know how much sleep on average they were getting? Six hours and 17 minutes. In 2019, Mattress Firm did the same study, same 2,000 adults. It had gone down to five hours and 30 minutes. And then I consider what our gracious God is doing during COVID. What is probably the biggest thing that we have to deal with in COVID? Fatigue. And some of you know, some of you had that, that bender where you slept for a good 12 hours. That was me. I had 12 hours. It was phenomenal. It was great. When I had COVID, I could have slept all day. Like it was like a button. Like whenever I wanted to, sleep down. You know what I'm talking about. Maybe you've been there. And how our gracious God is trying to tell sleep-deprived Americans, hey, this thing I created called rest, it's really good. That's what he does for Elijah. He doesn't wake him up from the nap and say, hey, lazy bones, get back to work. No, he, when he wakes up, gives him some cake, which has to be phenomenal. What does cake by, by God taste like? That'd be awesome, right? Well, look at this passage. Um, where'd it go? Anyway, get up and eat. Uh, it's too much for you. And that's what he did. So, where are we going to go? Honor what your body needs to recover. Honor what it needs. Because God made your body. In, in the coaching network I'm a part of, a uh, bunch of pastors, I've been in it for a decade, and, and we always talk about physical um, physical strength. And it's not for vanity. We're not, we're not trying to, uh, to, to, to be anything other than what God made us to be. But we know that nutrition matters and sleep matters and exercise matters. And so, so for you, what if you were just honest with what your body needed to recover from a day? Honest with what it needed to recover from the week or from your own breaking point and gave it that. I know not everything is under your control. But to the degree you can pursue it, I would just say out of love, pursue it. More. Another thing that I think Elijah was wrestling with was loneliness. 
And that's conjecture to a large degree, but I really think it's true because you think of his story. He shows up before Ahab and Jezebel alone telling him what's going to go on, that there's a famine. He goes off by himself to be fed by birds alone. When he is at that duel with the prophets, 850 of Baal and, and, and Asherah, and he is alone. And so what does God do? Anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat from Abel Mahola, to succeed you. He sends help. And I don't know what you know about Elisha, but he's no slouch. Given a double portion of the Spirit, he knew how to serve the Lord. And now Elijah was given a helper. How awesome. Have you ever been revived by the help of someone? Maybe it was that, that, that coworker who came in. Maybe it was that family member who stepped it up. Maybe it was a Christian counselor along the way. Man, do you know I got Elisha? His name is Pastor Jeff. He's pretty awesome. But what I'd say is get the help you need. If you're approaching a breaking point, maybe it is a family conversation. Hey, I know you haven't always done that, but I need you to step up. This area is too much. Maybe it is a talk with your boss. Hey, I just want to be real. This is what's going on. I know it may not change right now, but maybe if it could change in the future, or maybe it is at a, a critical enough point where I, I, I'm considering something else. Get the help you need. Be real with that. But perhaps the most phenomenal out of all that God does is he speaks words of truth. Because Elijah was believing lies. Last film. Seek the Lord in his word. And I don't know if this has ever happened to you where God out of nowhere gives us the exact right word. Our family uses the Bible app and sometimes we'll do the verse of the day. We'll just talk about the verse of the day. How that applies to us. And it's uncanny when we'll be wrestling with something and then the verse of the day speaks directly to that thing. You ever been there? Or maybe you've come to a worship like that and you walk away and I'm like, I'm pretty sure the pastors have our place bugged. Don't say anything too loud, right? Because what you're dealing with is exactly what we're talking about. That's God. His word, which is living and active. His word, which cuts to the core and gives us what we need. His word, which gives phenomenal perspective. And Elijah was believing this lie that he was the only one and that his work was in vain until the Lord spoke these words of truth. I reserve 7,000 in Israel. You're not the only one. They have not bowed down to Baal and his mouths have not kissed him. Your work was not in vain. That's a New Testament promise, isn't it? You can give yourself fully to the work of the Lord knowing it's not in vain. And Elijah was believing that it was all in vain. How many lies do we believe on the regular I'm not enough. I won't have enough. It won't work out. And God's promises cure them all. I'm enough in Christ. I'll have enough because he meets all my needs. And that thing I'm worried won't work out, he's always working on it for my good. The word which combats our lies. This is what a loving God does for us, wants for us, wants for you. But before we close, I save the most interesting question for the very end. You're welcome. And the most interesting question for me after perceiving this is why would a loving God 
allow his people to run over the cliff and experience a breaking point. And I consider it when I come to my struggle with sin, and maybe you've been this when it comes to sin. Have you ever been in a mode where you're like, God, (laughs) I just want to be what you want me to be. I don't want to hurt people. I don't want to offend you. Lord, if you could just change this bag of maggots, if you could just work so much in me that I could just be Jesus so that when they see me, they see Jesus. Could we make that deal? It's what I want to be. It's what your spirit empowers. Lord, let it be. And yet not a day that I've lived has it been that way. Can you relate? The desire for perfection is there. The desire to only be what Christ wants me to be is there. And yet not a day goes by where I don't struggle with sin. Not a day goes by where I don't get it wrong and fail so hard. So what is he trying to teach me? He's trying to teach me what Paul found. Why God allows brokenness is this. It happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God. See, God is concerned about your heart and concerned about who the hero is. As Jeff talked about the hero last week, the hero isn't us. The hero is him. It's always been. And he'll allow you to experience brokenness and a breaking point so you cry out for a better hero. And he allows me to struggle with my sin each day as I know you struggle too. He allows us to look at Jesus and say, wow, you're awesome. You're beautiful. I need you so much. I need the peace that the cross brings. I need to know that you've overcome and there is victory in your name. Yes, Lord, I need you every day. And this reliance that starts with our salvation. It permeates every portion of our life to the degree that we face brokenness in one category or another. He's just simply saying, would you rely on me for that? I can handle it. My arm is not too short. So as we close today, that's what we're going to do. We're going to put our needs in the Lord's hands as I invite you to pray with me. Let's continue. We pray, gracious God, so I need you for physical strength. I need you for emotional strength. I need you to do for my kids what I cannot. I need you to continue to provide all my needs. I don't provide for myself. I need you to work all things for my good, the things I can't control. Most of all, I need you to change my heart from one that is hard like stone into one that beats for you, one that craves your good and your glory in all things. Help me to rely on you. Be with me when I'm broken. And now, Lord, restore by the power of your Holy Spirit those who are broken and refresh them with peace and joy. In Jesus' name, amen.